please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 5. This morning we're going to read John 5 verses 19 to 24. John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also will the Son give life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have a place to go and hear from you. God, you are our rock and our refuge. Your people can flee to you and find safety in any season of life. God, you are the one that we long to hear from this morning. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your truth. Lord, thank you that you see us and you know all that is going on in each of our lives. Thank you that you are still building your church, even in times of crisis. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for stirring and moving in your church to love one another, to love our neighbors and our communities. And thank you for the, the, the good works that you still have for us to do as a church. Lord, I pray that above all, you would make us as a church that, that knows and loves Jesus. Make Jesus more beautiful to us today. Make the words of Jesus, the voice of Jesus, our shepherd, louder and clearer than any other voice. Would the glory of Jesus consume us Consume our thoughts and our affections. Glorify Jesus today, Holy Spirit. Help us look to Jesus now. And it is in Jesus' name, amen. Who is Jesus? What would you say? If you had to answer that question, who is Jesus? What would you say? There is Literally, no more important question than your answer to that question. Who is Jesus? There is no more pressing priority in your life and in your thoughts than, than who is Jesus? 
A.W. Tozer, a pastor and author, says this. Listen to, listen to this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. In a time of global crisis, when we are confined to our homes, when the economy is shaking, when our own minds and hearts are turmoil, hear me, nothing is more important than your relationship and your thoughts about Jesus. Do you know him? What are your thoughts of him? How do you approach him? How do you relate to him every day? Is he just another author or spiritual guru? Is he just another substance or drug that alleviates our stress? Is he a distant genie in the sky who, who hopefully answers a request every once in a while? Does he have any answers to the, the pressing problems that we face? Is he in control or is he far away just letting things happen? What is your view of Jesus? What is our view as a church of Jesus? What is our collective message to our communities and our neighbors about Jesus? Who is Jesus? You know, the irony of the Jewish people in Jesus' day is they had an extremely high view of God in theory. But when he showed up in flesh and blood as the man, Jesus Christ, they rejected him. Last week, if you remember, we saw Jesus heal a man on the Sabbath. And yet the Jewish leaders were challenging him for healing, for, for, for breaking their own man-made Sabbath rules. And if you recall, Jesus responded by saying, as the Father in heaven, as God is still working, I, his son, am also going to work even today on the Sabbath. And, and verse 18 says, this claim that God was his own father is what led the Jews to want to kill him. This was blasphemy. This man, this human being, making himself equal with God, it was unthinkable to the Jewish mind. You know, one of their chief scriptures, one of the most significant portions of the Old Testament was this passage in, in Deuteronomy chapter six. It's known as the Shema. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And yet there's this man who shows up and he's making himself equal with God. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see four men, they were all kings, and they made uh, statements equating themselves with God. And God severely punished all four of them. It was Pharaoh, a king named Joash, another king named Hiram, and then lastly, Nebuchadnezzar. And so these Jewish leaders are extremely sensitive to blasphemy, to a man making himself equal with God. And so when Jesus starts saying that God is his father, these Jews wanted to kill him. They literally wanted to kill him for blasphemy. Now, the rest of John chapter 5, okay, the rest of John chapter 5 is actually Jesus's response to these Jews. It's, it's uh, one of the most thorough, even formal theological portions of the book so far. It, Jesus even mirrors like courtroom um, structures. It, what really this is, is Jesus is formally for the first time in the gospel, defending himself to these men. It's as if Jesus is on trial. It's as if the Jews are, are asking Jesus, who do you think you are? And the rest of John chapter 5 is, is the response Jesus has to these men. And now we're just going to cover uh, six verses. And we're going we're gonna to sum up what Jesus says to defend himself in four points. And the first point is this. Jesus is equal to God in his actions. The first summary of Jesus' response is this. That, that Jesus is equal to God in his actions. Let's look again at uh, verses 19 and 20. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Hear this, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Remember, the Jews are objecting to Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, if my father's working on the Sabbath, then I'm going to work on the Sabbath. And what Jesus is doing in verses 19 and 20 is he's evoking apprenticeship language. Uh, back in those days, sons would often take up whatever profession their father did. And the father would bring the son to work and the son would just watch whatever the father was doing. And whatever the father was doing, the son would begin to learn what his father was doing. And if you remember in Jesus's case, his foster father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And as a boy, Jesus would have watched. He would have gone into the shop and watched his father, Joseph, working the wood. And then eventually Joseph would have brought Jesus in and would have shown Jesus all that he knew about his craft. And notice in verse 20, it says this. It says, the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. Now, uh, it's interesting to note that that's not the typical Greek word for love that we see in the New Testament. Typically, we see agape, which is the self sacrificial love. This word is phileo, and, and that's more of a friendship love, a, a warmth, an affection. And what this is saying here is, this is the affection a father would have for his son. 
especially as his son is growing up and learning to do what the father did. As, as the father's showing his son his craft, he would just have this like warmth, this bond with his son. And then it says, it says, he shows him all that he himself is doing. And what that's getting at is when a father would be apprenticing his son, he would reveal like all the family secrets of the craft. He, he would be like, hey, I'm not, I don't tell these secrets, these, these special techniques that I've developed to just any coworker son. I'm telling them to you as my son. And as, as you're preparing to take over the family business, I want you to know all that I know about this craft, all my secrets, all my skills, I want you, son, to know all that I do. Now, Jesus brings up this imagery of a father apprenticing a son, but he does something like shocking with it. Jesus applies this imagery to himself and to God. He says, God has revealed all the family secrets to him. He says that whatever God the Father does, he, the Son of God, also does those things. And he even says there is nothing God the Father does that he himself doesn't do. I mean, really, no wonder Jesus got himself killed. Right? I mean, he's claiming absolute intimacy and equality with God. In whatever God does, Jesus is saying, that's what I do. Now, I want to draw an implication of this for us in our current crisis. Okay, we're, we're living through, as we all know, unprecedented times. This is, this is unbelievable. We're, we're all over the place. We're stuck in our homes. We can't gather together. I'm preaching to you on an iPhone. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Now, I want us to think about this. If Jesus were to be on trial today, some would ask him, Jesus, who do you think you are? Jesus, what are you doing why are you allowing this crisis? What, what are you doing right now, Jesus? It breaks my heart. Even very prominent theologians this very week are publishing articles. Uh, one article said, essentially, there are no answers to what's going on. And that, that we need to learn as Christians to wait even when there's no hope. We need to just wait without hope. Even modern theologians are, in a sense, calling out God. What are you doing, God? Do you have answers? And so I want us to think about this for a moment. What are the Father and the Son doing right now? And can we know? And let me ask you this. Has, has God ceased working? Or, or maybe God's working overtime to try and make this whole thing right? Is this fallen and cursed world just spinning hopelessly out of control at this moment? I want us to look again at verse 17. This was from our text last week. Look what Jesus says. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. I want us to know that right now, Whenever you're watching this, 
God is still working. And he works all things, including this virus and all the havoc that it's wreaking on the world. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1, 11. And Jesus is seated on his throne, working with his father, sustaining all things by his word, the Bible tells us. I want to remind us that Romans 8.28 is still true, that God is still working all things for the good of his children, those who love him. I want to remind you of what we read in the end of Genesis about Joseph, that whatever man and whatever Satan, whatever the enemy intends for evil, God still intends it for good. He's still on his throne, sustaining all things. And it's still true that Jesus is coming again to make all things new a new earth and new bodies where there is no more sin or suffering or Satan or death. And so Jesus begins, he answers this accusation. Who do you think you are with this statement? I am equal to God and whatever God is doing right now, I am doing right now. And then he ends verse 20. And and as he, he ends the verse, he leads into the next truth. And so look again at verse 20. He ends it by saying this. He says, greater works than these will God show him the son so that you may marvel. He's saying, listen, yeah, you saw me heal this man on the Sabbath. That's a great work. But I I have even greater works than that healing. Greater things are coming, which leads us to the next verse. Read verse 21. And he speaks of one of these greater works in verse 21. He says this, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Now that verse gives us the next truth about Jesus. And it's this. Jesus is equal to God in his ability to give life. Jesus is equal to God in his ability to give life. Okay, now, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish Bible, there are three occasions where God raises someone from the dead, where he gives life to a dead body. The first is Elijah, raises a widow's son. Next is Elisha, the prophet after him, raises another woman's son. And then I love the third one. Uh, One time there was um, uh, a grave digger who was rolling out a dead body out of the city to bury him. And then some enemies came and he didn't know what to do. And so he just threw the body over and the body happened to land in Elisha's grave. And when that body touched Elisha's grave, the body came back to life. Now that's three times in the Old Testament we see God give life to a dead body. Now, um, God not only gives life in the sense that he raises the dead, we, we know this, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, verse 6 says this, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. So, so we know this, all life, all of life, the spark of life comes from God alone. 
So we know that truth. The Jews would know that truth. No one can give life but God. And then Jesus shows up and then he claims that just as God raises the dead and gives life, he says, I can do the very same thing. And I love this. As there were three uh, resurrections, so to speak, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there are three resurrections. Uh, there are three times Jesus personally raises someone from the dead. He's also uh, at a, a grave and someone is carrying out a dead body. And Jesus, like Elisha, raises a widow's son to life. Uh, he raises the daughter of Jairus to life. And in a few chapters we're going to read in John, he raises Lazarus to life. Now, I want us to notice this specifically in, in this verse. It says, Jesus gives life to whom he will. Now listen, the prophets in the Old Testament, they, they didn't have the power in themselves to give life. They, they had like delegated authority and God is the one who is credited with raising the dead to life. But Jesus says, I, I don't just have delegated authority. I can give life to anyone whom I will. Jesus has the authority, just like God the Father, to give life as he will. Now, it's clear Jesus is talking about you know, physical life here, but, but also we know that life in the Gospel of John refers also to spiritual life. We see in verse 24, he confirms that idea. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't pass into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so Jesus, yes, can raise physical bodies and give physical life, but far more significant is Jesus can give dead souls life. He can give a, a body that's walking around but has a dead soul. He can give that dead soul spiritual life. He speaks his word, the gospel, and he, and Jesus raises dead souls to true spiritual life. That's what we, re we refer to as salvation or the new birth or living water welling up in us or eternal life. And so I want to make this um, applicable again to our current situation. Jesus, because he's equal to God as father, he frees those of us who believe in him, hear me, from the fear of both physical death and spiritual death. He frees us from that fear. So right now, as the world is panicking, that there's this invisible disease out there that can kill you, Jesus frees us from being afraid of that. Paul says, what's the worst thing that can happen? That I could die? That just means I'll go be with the Lord. Jesus frees us from the fear of death. And not just that our bodies would die, but that our souls will have eternal life with God forever. We can be certain even in this present crisis, even as people are dying, that Jesus frees us from the fear of death. Jesus frees us from the fear of death. And I, even as I was just preparing this, I was I was thinking about saints who have recently died. And, and what are they experiencing right now? 
what are they experiencing right now? Those saints are more alive right now in the presence of Jesus than they ever were when they were just walking around physically alive on this planet. So Jesus gives life. He frees us from the fear of death. Now, the third truth that we see in this text, the third defense Jesus makes of himself is this, that that Jesus is equal to God in his judgment. He's equal to God in his judgment. Look at verse 22. The father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the son. This, it would be a incredible claim for a Jew to hear a man say, I have the same authority as God to judge you. The Old Testament, again, it's full of declarations that God alone is the judge of all the earth. I'll just read one of them. First Samuel chapter two, verse 10, it says this, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them, he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Time and time again, we see in the Old Testament, judgment belongs to God and God alone. And then this man, the son of a carpenter, shows up and he says, the father judges no one but he's given all judgment to me, his son. Now, hear what's going on right now. The Jews are putting Jesus on trial. And you know what Jesus says? He looks at them and he says, you are looking at your judge. You may be judging me, you may be putting me on trial, but I am your judge judge. And I just, I want to say this, even today, as people are wrestling with how could God allow this, or how could God do that, or why would God ever allow this? I just want to remind us that we are not the judges, and we are not to judge God. Like Job It is only fitting, even when all of our questions aren't answered, to know he is God. And I am just a man. Who am I to judge the God of the universe? Jesus is the judge. And Paul confirms this. Uh, In Acts 17, Paul goes and he's speaking in Athens And he's speaking to people who don't yet know God. And listen to what he says about the judgment that God has given to Jesus. Acts 17, verse 31, speaking of God the Father, he says this. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness, hear this, by a man whom he has appointed. God has handed judgment over to a man, the man, Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, the God-man, 
and the day is fixed. And Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Now, do you know what the, the Greek word is for judgment? It's the word krino, or, or in the verb form, it's the word crisis. And I just want to say this, as we are experiencing a global crisis, listen, there's a bigger crisis coming. There's a greater crisis, a greater judgment coming than this virus. The day, that fixed day when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. And do you know what? There's a benefit to this present crisis. It's that it's, it's bringing people to think about death, to think about eternal things. It's, it's pretty hard to numb ourselves and our typical distractions and our typical places of security in the middle of a crisis. I'll be honest, for me, it's helping me feel the urgency, the need that there is for people to know Jesus, for people to know that a day of judgment is coming. Even this week, as I was preparing, as I was studying here at the church, because I can't concentrate uh, around my kids. Sorry, I love them, um, but I can't concentrate. And so I'm here and uh, a woman shows up and she's asking for some money and, um, and I just, I normally don't do this, but, I, and I should. And I just asked her, I said, do you know the Lord? And she said, oh, you know, I'm learning. I'm learning about the Lord. And then I just asked her, when you stand before God on that last day, what are you going to say to him? What are you going to say? And she said, I guess, she's kind of flustered. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know I was going to be put on trial here. And then she said, but I mean, I guess I would say um, that I tried to be a good person. And you guys, just the spirit of God was pressing the urgency. This woman doesn't know how to be saved. She's not ready for the judgment. Her best defense is I tried to be a good person. And then I just told her, God is holy. And not a single sin will he just overlook or sweep under the rug. He's too holy. You'll be judged for, even if you lived a perfect life now, every day before now, you'll be judged. Are you, are you ready? What are you going to say? Is the best you have, I tried to be a good person. And then I just told her, listen, there is hope because Jesus, the judge, the, the one who is perfect and the judge, do you know what he did? He came and he was judged for our sins, for our iniquities. The very one who will judge the world himself was judged. He took on the wrath of God. He became sin so that if anyone would trust in him, in his works, in his righteousness, that they would be forgiven, justified, completely made righteous in God's sight so that when the day of judgment comes, they don't have to fear. They get to stand before the Holy One of God with confidence and say, I am righteous in the sight of God because Jesus was judged for me. That is the gospel. That though all judgment is given to the Son, the Son himself took judgment upon himself 
So that is, as verse 24 says, whoever hears my word, that's the gospel, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Do you know what you are going to say when you stand before the Holy One of God? You will stand before God. You will literally stand there on the day of judgment. And there is only one hope to escape that judgment, to pass from judgment. And that's to believe in the one God sent, to believe that Jesus took my judgment on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sin. And so here Jesus says, I am equal to God in my actions. I'm equal to God in in my ability to give life. And I'm equal to God in judgment. Now, the fourth truth, the, the last thing we see here is this. Jesus is equal to God in honor. Jesus is equal to God in honor. Look, look at verse 23. It says, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Again, to these Jewish listeners, this is blasphemy. It's outrageous. So many passages would be going through their mind, one of which is Isaiah 42, verse 8. God says this, I am the Lord. And what he says there is Yahweh. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. And then there's this man claiming the same glory and honor as God the Father. Jesus says, my honor is equal to God's honor. And it's, it's amazing because we see this in the Gospels. We see God the Father actually bestowing honor to God the Son. One example is in Luke chapter 9 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus brings his, a few of his disciples up onto the mountain and then he starts radiating white with glory. And verse 34 says this, A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You cannot honor God if you don't honor Jesus. And this is why it's it's, it's explicitly why every cult, every other religion cannot honor God. It doesn't matter how heartfelt they are. It doesn't matter how hard they try. If you don't honor Jesus as God, you cannot honor God. Jesus explicitly says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. We can't approach God on our own terms. 
but only through the revealed and risen Jesus. There is no other way to God than through honoring Jesus. That word honor means to put a, put a price on, a high price. And to honor Jesus is to value Jesus, him, above everything else. And so I just want to ask us, in this current season, what are you honoring? What has your attention? What has your money? What are you putting a price on? What, what do your fears and anxieties reveal about what you really honor? Church, we must honor Christ. Honor Christ. I want to close uh, with Philippians chapter 2, where Paul is talking about the honor that Jesus receives from God his Father. Philippians 2, we'll read verses 9 through 11, and it says this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God, right now, I ask that you would help us, your people, honor Jesus. Would our lives be about Jesus? Would our church be about Jesus? Would we long to hear the word of Jesus? Would we honor Jesus so that we can honor you, God? Holy Spirit, would you remove the idols, the other places in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives that are taking honor from Jesus? If someone was to look at our life, please, God, destroy any idol that, that, that says when someone looks at our life, that's what they honor. They honor pleasure. They honor wealth. They honor their reputation. They honor their image. They honor themselves. Please, Holy Spirit, help us to honor Jesus in Jesus alone. Jesus, you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise.